Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Thursday, February 20th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the governor moves inmates out of Parchman Unit 29. Then, in today's book club, the unsolved murder of a young girl in Macomb 50 years ago. Plus, we talk to the filmmakers behind MPB's newest documentary, Meet Carl Jackson. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Since the start of our administration, we have been working to restore order to our prison system. We've said repeatedly that the tip of that spear is, in fact, Parchman's Unit 29. Today, earlier this morning, we started the process of moving the last inmates out of Unit 29's major housing facilities. Inmates located at Mississippi's Parchman Prison are being moved to a nearby private facility. The prison has been rocked by recent violence and is under federal investigation. Inmates of the infamous Unit 29 are moving five miles away to Tallahatchie County Correctional Facility. Fifty inmates have already been moved, and they began moving 500 more inmates Wednesday morning. Cliff Johnson is the director of the MacArthur Justice Center at the University of Mississippi. He commends the governor's quick action and tells MPB's Kobe Vance he believes this is a temporary solution while more permanent plans are negotiated. Certainly moving people out of Unit 29 uh, as quickly as possible is of utmost importance, and um, this is good news. I applaud the governor for taking this action. He said he was going to close down 29, and, and it appears that's exactly what he's doing. So, I, so I'll give him credit. Um, but what are some other issues that still might need to be tackled that, uh, you know, this only addresses getting them out of parchment. Um, what are some other things that the state might need to be looking at to have better long-term results? We've been promoting um, with significant focus um, the reduction in prison population. We're not going to be able to get the results we want around safer prisons, prisons that are um, really serving the function of rehabilitation and um, decreasing our the criminal activity in the state and making us slower until we provide programs to people who have incentive to 
um, rehabilitate themselves. People who have who have the possibility of shortening their sentence, of of getting some positive outcome if they do those things that we think will help them reintegrate into our communities. So greater access to parole um, as a way to reduce our prison population we think is smart. It's something that safely reduces the prison population and gives people the kind of incentives they need to uh, to change their lives. We also, you know, are focusing on, um, you know, bigger issues about sentences in our criminal system where people are ultimately sent to prison for 10 and 20 years for offenses that in some instances, you know, are even misdemeanors in other states. I think I think we need to look at drug possession um, as uh, um, an area of possible reform. The fact that we are continuing to treat simple possession of drugs without distribution as serious felonies, I think, is an area that we can look at. Um, those are a couple of examples of policies that really get to the bigger issues around um, rehabilitation, decrease of the, decreasing the prison population, and changing the culture at MDOC for the better. Now, do you have any concerns about this uh, this move to uh, Tallahatchie County Correctional Facility? My sense is that this is a stopping off point um, on the way to Walnut Grove. That's certainly my hope. I think Walnut Grove is the appropriate facility for people who've been in Unit 29. Um, I'm no fan of private prisons. Um, I've been in litigation with private prisons in the past. But as a stopgap measure, as a way to get them out of what clearly has been the worst situation in the prison system, and that being Unit 29, um, I, I don't have a I don't have a complaint about this. Uh, it's expensive, and I don't think it's a long-term solution. But but my hope and my understanding is that it's not intended to be. Cliff Johnson is the director of the MacArthur Justice Center. Democrat Carl Mickens is vice chair of the House Corrections Committee. He acknowledges the transfer of inmates from the ill-equipped Unit 29 addresses the immediate concerns within the Department of Corrections. But as he tells our Kobe Vance, the legislature must also look at the bigger picture. We're focusing on the housing issue, but what we need to focus on is a problem right now. And, and that we alleviate the problem right now, and we go, we have ongoing discussions and and implement ongoing things for the the, the long long haul with the uh, housing problems of the inmates. But right now, we we need to take care and fix what's wrong now to make make conditions better. So, what are some of the things that you you yourself have been uh, trying to get focused on in the uh, in addressing major issues? Well, the the the, the overcrowdedness of our uh, of that facility, uh, and, and the conditions of the facility, you know, and the, the shortage of staff at the facility, things of that nature is is what what we, what we, I'm trying to focus on to uh, have a, a immediate impact and not long term long long range lookouts because we're gonna take care of the long range. But we got to do something now. Now is the most important thing, not not five, ten years from now, because we're going to have that fixed. We got to fix it now. So, uh, what are some of your ideas to actually try to fix uh, fix now, like uh, fix the overcrowding issue and fix the um, fix the lack of staffing? 
Well, the idea is we we gotta we gotta uh, make sure we we put put more money in, in the Department of Correction budget for, to uh, give employees uh, pay pay raises and increases in their in their pay and and we gotta get our buildings up to standard so that they will have better working conditions and, and won't mind uh, working there and also. Um, like all the parole eligible people, we need to get them out of the institution and back into society and, th- you know, things of that nature. That being said, um, with all those uh, ideas for the for fixing now, um, what was your reaction when you did learn that the prisoners were going to be leaving the facility and uh, or at least leaving Unit 29? My reaction was I was I was I was I was. I was happy that they was going to be leaving because that's what we're all working towards, you know. It, it's not no one person doing this or that. We're trying to work together, come up with the with ideas and put them together to make sure that we alleviate this problem so it won't happen again. And now you say that this is a, a joint effort. What's been some of the, the harder things to overcome um, when trying to secure funding and trying to get better pay raises and trying to get better living environments for prisoners? Well, the same things that have been for years, for years of uh, shortages shortages, and, and, and more attention being given to other things in the state. So you know, it's no one thing. It's no one thing. You know, but we're trying to do the best we can with the um, money that, you know, we have to work with. House Democrat Carl Mickens is from Brooksville. The governor says once the transfers are complete, the only part of Unit 29 that will be in operation is death row, which is required by state statute to be in parchment. Coming up in today's book club, the unsolved murder of a young girl in Macomb 50 years ago. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On the next Fit to Eat, I'll be preparing a stuffed shoulder tenderloin with cream spinach sauce and brabant potatoes. Our guest is Emily Thavis from the National Diabetes and Obesity Research Institute. We're going to check out a local butcher in Flora, and registered dietitian Rebecca Turner will share some delicious low-sodium crockpot tricks. It's going to be a great show, so stay tuned. Join Chef Rob Stinson on Fit to Eat every Saturday at 1, only on MPB TV. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. 50 years ago, the body of a 12-year-old girl was found in an oil field outside Macomb, Mississippi. She had been shot in the head. The suspects were two police officers. Despite two trials, one suspect was acquitted. The other had charges against him dropped. Today, the murder of Tina Andrews remains unsolved. Trent A. Brown talks to us about his book, Murder in Macomb. In August of 1969, The body of 12-year-old Tina Andrews was discovered in an oil field just outside Macomb. 
she had been missing for about 10 days when her body was discovered. Now, immediately, local law enforcement authorities, the police, the sheriff's department, they were assisted by FBI and state highway patrol investigators. You know, immediately, they began an investigation of the case. They interviewed many suspects, pursued a number of leads, but had no real breaks in the case for over a year. And in early 1971, a young woman went to the current district attorney, Joe Pigott, and told him that she had eyewitness information about Tina Andrews and her fate. With that information, the district attorney was able to secure indictments against two current Macomb police officers. In the fall of 1971, one of those officers was tried for murder. The result of the first trial was a hung jury or a mistrial. He was retried with a different district attorney in the spring of 1972. That trial resulted in an acquittal. And so officially then Tina Andrews' murder is unsolved. Was the other officer charged with anything? The second officer was also indicted for murder, but with the acquittal in the trial of the first officer, the district attorney decided, I think, that he didn't have a case that he could win against the second officer, and those charges were dismissed. Were the two officers police officers at the time of her murder? In 1969, at the time of the murder, one of the men was definitely a police officer. One was not officially a member of the force, but at the time of the indictments in 1971, both men were Macomb police officers. You said her body was found 10 days after she went missing. What were the circumstances of her disappearance? On the evening of August 13, 1969, Tina Andrews and a friend of hers, Billy Joe Lambert, accepted a ride with two men outside a teenager's club in downtown Macomb. Um, the two men took the girls, this is according to Billy Joe Lambert's testimony in two trials, the two men took the two girls to an oil field just a couple of miles outside Macomb. It was well known as a make-out spot. When the car stopped, when the men and the girls arrived at the oil field, the two girls tried to get away. Tina Andrews did not. Her friend did. And 10 days later, her body was discovered there by oil field workers. She'd been killed with a gunshot to the back of the head. It took Billy Joe, is that what you said her name was? It took her a while to come forward. Was that out of fear? Absolutely out of fear. She said consistently, I didn't know who to go to. Was I supposed to go to the police? She was aware that the men were police officers. She said, was I supposed to go to the police? Could I trust the law? She really didn't have any place, I think, that she felt that she could turn. Andrews and Lambert were both girls from modest social backgrounds. They were definitely of a working-class background. By the time of the trial, Tina Andrews' friend, Billy Joe, was 15. She was the mother of a six-week-old child at the time of the first trial. The defense attorney made a great deal of that fact, arguing that this is a person who is essentially disreputable. And the question is to the jury, who do you believe, 
a police officer, a representative of the forces of law and order that we all need to support in the community, or do you take the word of this disreputable girl who is trying essentially to defend uh, another disreputable girl who is dead? Trent A. Brown is the author of Murder in Macomb, the Tina Andrews case. Thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you very much for your time. Trent Brown will be at Lemuria Books in Jackson this evening at 5. Coming up, we talk to the filmmakers behind MPB's newest documentary, Meet Carl Jackson. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Grammy-winning producer, hit songwriter, celebrated musician and vocalist, trusted mentor. These are just a few of the ways country music's greatest describe Mississippi's Carl Jackson. Tune in for MPB's new documentary, Meet Carl Jackson, featuring Dolly Parton, Linda Ronstadt, Emmylou Harris, Vince Gill, Marty Stewart, Tom T. Hall, and more. Exclusively on MPB Television. Thursday, February 20th at 7, with Encores Friday at 8, Saturday at 7, and Sunday at 4. For moments in black history, we recognize Elizabeth Taylor Greenfield, born a slave in 1819 in Natchez, Mississippi. Elizabeth Greenfield had little reason to dream of a life that would eventually become her own. Because of a series of unlikely circumstances and her own relentless efforts, she would eventually become known as the Black Swan, America's first African-American classical music singer. This has been MPB Moments in Black History. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. That's Carl Jackson playing Lay Down My Old Guitar. The Louisville native is the subject of a new documentary by Mississippi Public Broadcasting that explores his contributions to country music as a songwriter, session musician, and producer. We talk with producers John Gibson and Tywo Gaynor about how this project got started and what it means to them. One year ago, in February uh, 2019, I took a trip up to Nashville to meet Carl Jackson, uh, went to the Station Inn where he plays a regular Monday night gig with a, with a great uh, group of musicians, and uh, saw the show, and then uh, met him afterwards and started talking about doing a documentary about his life and career, and here we are. But where did that idea come from, Tywo? We were trying to think about a companion piece for the Ken Burns series that aired in 2019, and so we were running down a list of country music people from the state of Mississippi. We wanted to make sure and keep it Mississippi-based and centric. So we wanted to find an artist from Mississippi that we could highlight. And there are quite a few to choose from, actually. There, there We're very lucky a, that way. We are. We, you know, we, we, have a, we have a wealth of very talented musicians and artists from the state. But uh, we, we, uh, we kept running up against people who already had uh, productions in the works. Um, you know, Marty Stewart, who's going to be prominently... Uh, shown in the Ken Burns series. Um, Charlie, Charlie Pride had a documentary Pride on PBS. had a documentary coming out. Um, so we didn't want to do something that was going to already be done. Mm-hmm. And so we uh, we went to our resident uh, country music expert, Bill Ellison, and told him what Indeed. we were trying to do. And he said, Carl Jackson. And John and I were both like, who? <laughs> yeah, John, people may not know who Carl Jackson is. And then I... I watched the extended trailer for this. I'm like, oh, my gosh, how did I not know who this man was? So right. so give us some of his highlights. Uh, well, first I'll say when I describe Carl Jackson, I describe him as your favorite's favorite. 
because when you ask Vince Gill and Dolly Parton and Emmylou Harris and Linda Ronstadt and Tom T. Hall who their favorite country musicians are, they name Carl Jackson. And we did ask all those people in the making of the documentary, and and they all just adore Carl. How did you talk to or who talked to Linda Ronstadt and Dolly Parton and Vince Gill and Emmy Lou Harris? Uh, well, we we both did. Uh, we, uh, in almost all cases, we went to those people's homes. They were very nice to have us at their homes and took a small crew of uh, four or five of us and uh, spent anywhere from 30 minutes to two hours just having a conversation about Carl and about music in general and really wherever they wanted the conversation to go. I think that speaks to their, their respect for him to let you into their homes. Yeah, it, it was it was remarkable. Uh, we contacted a lot of people. No one said no. Everyone wanted to be involved. There were a few people that we had trouble scheduling, and uh, that's the reason Brad Paisley is not in the documentary Although his manager kept calling us back saying, how late is too late? Brad still wants to be in this. He still wants to be in this. And we finally ran out wow. of time. But, but I mean, those are good problems to have. Yeah, really. We have to turn you away, Brad Paisley. <laughs> <laughs> um, this airs tonight. Are you still tweaking the video? Of course we are. <laughs> we, we when tweak, will you stop we, tweaking We will the stop video? tweaking when we deliver the file to Master Control <laughs> so that they can hit play. Okay, because 7 <laughs> o'clock is when it airs. You think yeah. you're going to be tweaking at 6.30? No, we, we, we won't be. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> when they pry it out of our hands. Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, you can never. It's, this is our baby. We can never stop tweaking on it and finding things that can just be, you know. We, we, we thought we were watching the final version at the, at the public premiere last night, uh, but – we were exchanging glances when we'd hear a word that just wasn't right or, <laughs> or, or, or a fade that was a little mistimed. We were like, we can fix that. We still have time to fix that. Yeah. So we will. How many MPBers can claim this as their baby? How many have worked on this? Well, our production crew, our core crew was uh, John and I, who were the producers, as, along with Corey Hart, who started as a videographer. And we, he, he, we made him a producer because he, he, he earned it. Yes. Um, then our our uh, uh, director of photography, Joey Gibson, who's also a colorist, who who was doing the final. Color what does that mean, colorist? So the colorist is the person who takes the, and he's also the online editor. So he take all of the final edits, and he fine tunes the color of each frame of video to make sure it's legal and it looks great on air. And you have to do it frame by frame. Well, clip by clip, usually. Clip by but, clip is I still mean, you, small enough. You still have to watch every frame to make sure every frame is is proper. Who else? Um, Ed Foose. Ed Foose, uh, yeah. Uh, directed the uh, Station Inn concert footage and uh, did the motion graphics uh, in the final product. Um, John, did you do the scripting? Uh, yeah. Well, it, it's it's entirely made up of comments from from people, there's no narration, but there's no narration. There's no at narration all? at all. No narration at all. We just weave the stories together. That so, sounds so incredible. That, that was the scripting. Was just to weave all the stories together. Yeah. How long did that part take? Uh, months. Yeah. You started. So, you, as you said, you started last February. That's when you met Carl Jackson. Mm-hmm. How did he feel about this project? Was he honored? Was he reluctant? How did he feel? Surprised. He couldn't believe anybody wanted to do this. Oh my. Which really says a lot about Carl. Yeah. Tywo, what are you most proud of about this project? Well, what I'm really most proud about this project is is that we were able to get our team together and actually pull it off. I mean, you know, we have a lot of productions that we do throughout the year, 
And this was one of those documentaries that came along with the other things that we do for MPB television programs. And it was a small group of us. And this was all people who work for Mississippi Public Broadcasting. That is the most remarkable part about this program. And this is a this is world class production. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a part of it and I worked on it. This is truly an incredibly well done production. And it speaks to the people and the quality of, of personnel that we have here at MPB. And I'm super proud of them. I am super proud to have worked with our team. And there are a lot of newcomers, young, talented people who are on the team that got to really show what they were made of in this production. And that's that's really the best part for me. What about you, John? I agree with Tawo that um, we did this entirely in-house. And on a lot of our productions, especially larger productions, sometimes we've uh, brought in some ringers. You know, we we, we get a little, little outside help. We have a great network of of uh, freelance production people in the community that we work with, but we really wanted to do this all MPB. Uh, we had one former employee. I think the only freelancer we hired was, was a was a former employee <laughs> that we, we just had to include. But uh, uh, but yeah, I'm real proud of what the team pulled off. It's a one hour show. One hour. One hour. It's tonight at seven o'clock on MPB Television. Yeah. Thank you both. Thank, Thank you. you. And again, Meet Carl Jackson airs tonight at 7 only on MPB Television. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Creature Comforts. Then at 10, it's Auto Correct. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online by visiting mpbonline.org. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.